Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Peter, you're such a rock. I'm going to build my church on you. It's going to be glorious, man. You're going to be the foundation. You're going to be the... No, listen, that's not what Jesus is saying. I can tell you that grammatically. He says, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, both mean rock, but the first one means, well, like a, a chip off the old block, a, a rock, but not the whole stone, you see. Part two of life's most important question. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, and join in with Pastor Sam as he looks at Peter's profession of who he believes Jesus to be, Jesus' prediction of his own death and resurrection, and Peter's denial of that reality. Let's listen in. I was thinking about this last night and early this morning, kind of all blends together at some point in there. And and I was thinking, you know, today, as, as I stand and share God's word with you, there are hundreds of thousands of people, pastors, worldwide, doing the very same thing. And I was thinking, all the different personalities and voices and attitudes and all that we are and all that we bring to our study of the Bible together, God is using them all. But it's ultimately His voice that must be heard. That's why the scripture says, today, if you hear His voice... Don't harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts. If you realize, hey, this is a revelation from heaven, not just words on a page, not just a message from a pastor. No, this is a revelation from the Father in heaven. So who does the Father say Jesus is? It is ultimately the issue of life. It is life's most important question. So Peter, having said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus having affirmed that and said, hey, man, how blessed you are, Peter, a revelation from the Father, not flesh and blood, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus gives us a couple first. He says, and I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, in verse 17, he called him Simon, reminding him of who he was and what he'd been before Jesus called him and began to transform him. Simon just means a reed. And you know, the wind blows, the reed bends. That was Simon, vacillating, wavering, uncertain. But Jesus, having gotten a hold of him, he says, look it, Peter, Peter, oh, that's completely different. It's Petros. It means a rock. Now, some have imagined that what Jesus is saying here, though, is that, Peter, you're such a rock. I'm going to build my church on you. It's going to be glorious, man. You're going to be the foundation. You're going to be the... No, listen, that's not what Jesus is saying. I can tell you that grammatically. He says, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, both mean rock, but the first one means, well, like a, a chip off the old block, a, a rock, but not the whole stone, you see. Petra, that speaks of a more radical rock. In fact, there at Caesarea Philippi, if you ever get there, there is this glorious, just radical rock right there where the Jordan kind of mouths out of the ground and begins its run. And, and, well, it's, it's not half dome. I mean, you've been to Yosemite, you're gonna go and say, man, we got it, we got it nailed. I mean, it's nothing. No, but, but for there and for then, it's radical. And, and because that's where they were, I'm thinking, Jesus is saying, listen, 
I'm making you into something solid, Peter. I think he's doing that with a lot of people here. In fact, I think as surely as Jesus took those disciples aside and up north and to a quiet place where he could commune with them and communicate with them, that that's what these services become for many of us. A chance just to come aside, to get away from all the stimulation and the, the chaos and confusion of our society and just to listen to the Lord as we open his word together and, and feast our eyes and hearts on the things that feed and refresh and cleanse us. Well, here he says, you're Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Before we talk about the gates of Hades, the doors of death, note that Jesus says, I will build my church. It's yet future because the church would not be birthed until Acts chapter 2, not until after the resurrection, not until the word was poured out and well perhaps perhaps that was the day when the whole thing goes down and where the spirit comes down and where well life begins spiritually for that entire 3000 that were added to Christ's disciples that day but 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 here's the thing Jesus says I will build my church not Peter you're going to build my church and then you'll pass it on to the next guy and he'll pass it on and no I'm going to do my work I'm going to do my thing in people and through people and I, as a pastor, find great comfort in Jesus' statement that it's his church, it's his work, he'll build it. It means my total responsibility is to be faithful in the ministry he's given me. But when I stand before him, it won't be comparing me with others or it will just be, hey, did you do what I gave you to do? Did you do what I sent you to do? By the way, Elijah outwardly had a very successful ministry since we mentioned him and they did. Jeremiah, outwardly, well, you wouldn't have thought so. If you're familiar with his ministry at all, he's called the weeping prophet because he, he ministered and prophesied for an entire generation without one conversion. Not one person turned to the Lord during his entire ministry. But I'm absolutely convinced that when Jeremiah stood before the Lord, that he heard the same thing Elijah did. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Jeremiah was like, well, you probably weren't paying attention, were you? Nobody repented. I pled with them, I prayed for them, I wept for them, and nobody repented. But see, that's not, that's not Jeremiah's responsibility. That's not Elijah's responsibility. It's not even my responsibility. No, my responsibility is to speak the truth in love. So you know that God loves you, he cares for you, he wants you, he desires you, and that your sin has separated you from him. And by the way, that's a word for believers and unbelievers, because the moment I sin, until the moment I, I get it right and I confess that sin, I separate myself from fellowship with God. Sin separates. Sin devastates. And so, so the bottom line is, Jesus is saying, it's my church, I'll build it, and that means it's his responsibility. And we just get to, to be a part of it, to participate joyfully in it. But he says, I will build my church. And then he says something, well, we need to take it to heart. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is easier to understand if we simply call the gates of Hades the doors of death. And truly, that's what they were. The gates of hell. It's the doors of death. He's saying they won't prevail. Why? Because Jesus through the cross conquered death. Jesus through his death and resurrection makes life eternal possible. Possible. 
for every person who hears the gospel and responds, for every person who responds. And so he says, hey, you're doing great, Peter. And so here, here are sort of the three ideas that have been, well, they floated about since the first century. Some teach that Peter, well, is the rock that the church is built on. I don't believe... Peter thought he was that rock. He, he said there's no other foundation that can be laid except Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus was the chief cornerstone, as did Paul. And they preached it. They taught it. Peter knew he wasn't the foundation. Now, the scripture does say the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So that could include Peter. But it wouldn't have been him specifically or him above and beyond the others. No, Jesus laid a foundation through the prophets and the apostles because they came saying, the Lord is coming. And then the apostles came saying, the Lord has come. The prophets pointed forward to the cross, the apostles back toward the cross. And, and in every case, it was all about the cross, all about Jesus, all about him, his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so he says, you're Peter, Petros, and upon this Petra, this rock, I will build my church. Some have suggested, and I think this is much closer to reality, that the rock he speaks of is, is the profession that Peter made of Jesus. I think that's important because because Jesus does say, hey, you know, blessed are you. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And, and I got to read you something out of Romans 10. It's Something that, that, that you got to get a handle on if you haven't yet. He, he says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's possible that Jesus was saying, listen, this revelation, this proclamation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to use that to build my church. And he does. When you come to the realization that Jesus is your only hope for salvation, and you say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, be my Lord, be my Savior, I believe in you, I trust in you, well, you receive the free gift of everlasting life. And yet there's one more possibility, that Jesus is simply saying, hey, upon myself. You see, Peter was now a part of Jesus in a very real way. And the same way we've become part of Jesus. You know, the Bible says, and we're studying through all this in our Wednesday night study, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they built a tabernacle, a temporary dwelling place for God. Later, a temple, yet another temporary dwelling place for God. But the Bible says that God dwells within us within each and every born-again believer. And um, so it's most probable that Jesus is saying, hey, you're, you're, you're a chip off the old block, but this, this is what I'm building on, Peter. I'm building on the reality of who I am and what I'm here to do. It's Jesus himself. Well, Jesus says, I will build my church. First mention in scripture, by the way, of the word church. And if you've been a believer for any length of time at all, you should know that the word church is never used in the New Testament of any structure or building. It just didn't exist in that form. We talk about going to church as if the building were the church. But from a spiritual and, and, and heavenly perspective, 
in reality, the church, well, we who gather together are the church. When we leave, this is just an empty building. And we can call it a church, but it's only, well, it only has that designation because, well, we gather together in it. Here's the amazing thing, the wonderful thing, the thing you can take home with you and should, must. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. That means when you leave this building and you go to a restaurant and you sit and you get your meal and you pray, Lord, bless this food and, and you know, protect us from it, depending which restaurant and whatever you pray, that, that you're still having church, you see, wherever you're gathered together, recognizing his presence, honoring him. Well, you're still participating in church. This is just our gathering together to worship corporately. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to do it, to still our hearts and minds and study corporately. But church is all week long, wherever we are, wherever believers gather together and recognize his presence. That's essential. It's essential because we can get together and fail to fellowship with him or each other. We can just get together. But if we recognize he's there and we honor him in our conversations and in our interactions, well, we're still having church. And when the Bible uses the word church, it's talking about a group of people separated unto God, called out by God. It's ecclesia. Now, this is a new revelation for the disciples. You got to get that. And when he says, Peter, in a moment, I'm going to give you some great opportunity and a glorious responsibility. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and, and I'm going to let you do some things for me. They wouldn't be limited to Peter. We'll see that. But, but here's the thing. Jesus is all about building his church. And he says the gates of Hades, the doors of death, they will not stop that work. They won't stop his work. So first mention of the word church, it will come up over and over from this point on in the New Testament, but it will always be referring to people gathered together in Christ's name to worship and serve him. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one he was the Christ. Now, a couple of things concerning the keys and this binding and this loosing. He says, whatever you bind and loose, not whoever you bind and loose. And some have kind of got hung up on the, well, we're binding people or we're binding spirits. It's not whoever, it's whatever. And the whole idea of binding and loosing had to do with remitting or, well, what would be the other side of, of remitting? It would be retaining. And so, so here's the picture. It's judicial. And what he's saying is based on the authority of the word of God, based on the, the reality of the word of God, we can go as Peter did and preach, Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And there's forgiveness in him, peace with God, freedom from sin. And, and we are authorized. And that's what Jesus is authorizing Peter to do, to say, if you believe it and you receive him, your sins are forgiven. But unless you believe I am, Jesus will later say, you will die in your sins. So on the same basis and with the same authority, I can say and we can say, if you continue in your sin and your rebellion and your resistance, if you don't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will die in your sins. There's no remission. There's no forgiveness. Now, some can say, well, I don't believe that. In fact, many say they don't believe it. There are people in pulpits saying they don't believe it, but I believe it. 
because he said it, and to me and for me, that settles it. Jesus makes it clear that he and he alone can save us from sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So he says, if you forgive, they'll be forgiven. Hey, that's what's going on in heaven. If you, if you, if you retain, well, those sins will be retained. And there's something else here. I kind of skipped over it. I wanted to come back to it. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Some want to make that more than it is. You just need to understand that they're Jesus keys and it's Jesus kingdom. And what he's saying is, look, you're going to be a steward for me, a representative of me in my absence. Because, hey, I'm, he's about to tell him, by the way, the thing he brought them up there to tell him. I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'll be handed over to the chief priest. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to rise again the third day. But, but before that, he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And, um, and we just got to understand, it's a stewardship. I believe those keys representatively speak of the gospel. And here's why. Peter would preach the gospel on that day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 were added to the 120 that were already trusting in and believing on Jesus. 3,000 people saved. The key that opened the door to their salvation, the preaching of the gospel. Later in Acts chapter 10, at the house of Cornelius, Peter would preach the gospel to Gentiles, something he never thought he'd do, something he didn't recognize would be required of him. Man, these were a people, well, apart. And and what happens? The door is opened that day for the Gentiles to come in to the kingdom. And so those keys, and keys are, of course, meant to either unlock or lock a door. Jesus tells us in Revelation, I open the door no one can shut. And I shut a door no one can open. And so he says, Peter, here's the keys. And I want you to be opening doors. I want you to be preaching the gospel. I want you to be sharing the reality of the cross. I want you to be out there representing me, Peter. Now, we understand this. If I were to go on vacation and I were to ask you, hey, would you mind coming by my place, watering the plants, you know, feeding the pets or whatever, and, and you know, here's my keys. You don't imagine for a minute when you come to the house that, hey, now this is my house. I have the keys. I'm here in the house. No, you know it's my house, and you're just there because you, you're willing to serve in that capacity of keeping the plants and the pets alive. There's no difference here, you see. It's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' kingdom. They're Jesus' keys. And Peter is just representing Jesus. And that's what we get to do as well, you see. This wasn't something just for Jesus. He has entrusted the gospel to us. He's given us a key that opens the door to salvation. And we got to use it. We, we get to use it. We have opportunity every day to just ask the question, do you know life's most important question? What does the Bible teach about Jesus? Who does the Father say Jesus is? Ultimately, what you do with the answer to that will determine your eternity. Well, from that time on, and this is where it was all leading, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Now, there are four things Jesus says he must do. Go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and be raised again the third day. Now, Peter's got a little bit of a problem. He's just had this glorious revelation from heaven. And you got to know he's busting buttons, man. He's walking around like Arnold, you know, chest out, uh, you know, pumped up. And it's like, hey, revelation from heaven. God speaks to me. God speaks through me. You've got to know he was 
a little bit prideful in this moment. So much so that when Jesus begins to say, listen, you've got it. I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me tell you what that means. I got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to be handed over and, and I've got to be crucified. And, but I'm going to rise again the third day. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. If there's anything out of place, it's a servant rebuking his master, a servant rebuking his Lord. And Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Can you imagine? First, Peter has this glorious revelation. Now the enemy is speaking to him and through him. And when I see this, I realize that it's possible for me, having spoken for God and rightly represented God, to put myself in a position where the enemy can whisper in my ear and I can begin to, to well, share not God's heart, but my own or, or the enemy's. You see, Jesus here says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, I believe it's possible Satan was there on the scene. We do know Jesus' third temptation was directly related to this. This suggestion of, of, of Satan and now of Peter. Satan had suggested to Jesus, you don't have to, to, to go to the cross. While he didn't use those words, what he suggested is, look at, here's all the kingdoms of the world, all their glory, all their splendor, they're mine, I'll give them to you. Just bow down and worship me. What is he saying? I can get it all for you wholesale. You don't have to die. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. I'll give it to you. Just worship me. And now Peter is taking the place of Satan. I don't believe he's demon-possessed or anything that bizarre or weird, but I think he's listening to the enemy and speaking for the enemy. And as surely as he was in tune with God, hearing from heaven, now he's in tune with Satan and hearing from hell. And the same lips that said, you're the Christ, is saying, you can't die. Well, how can he be the Christ if he doesn't die? The Messiah had to suffer and die for our sins. Otherwise, well, he wasn't the Messiah and couldn't save us from our sins. And so, Jesus, get behind me, Satan. The word means adversary. And he's saying, Peter, you're listening to the enemy. You're speaking for the enemy. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God. That's not what you're, you're doing, Peter, but of the things of men. Now, a glorious revelation from heaven, a satanic suggestion from hell. Same guy sharing both. What does that tell us? What does that, should that warn us about? Listen, we need to be in tune with the Lord and we need to be sure of him. And when he says, I must go to Jerusalem. I must be handed over. I must be crucified. I must rise again the third day. Listen, Jesus knows what he's talking about. And any suggestion that any of what he wants or desires or plans to do is, well, is wrong or, or, or wouldn't be right, hey, we got to get it out of our minds. Peter had this amazing revelation and then he had this stupid idea wherever it came from satan from himself that the cross was not for jesus when we get into our next study jesus is going to take us deeper and he's going to say hey not just me you you want to walk with me you want to represent me you need to deny yourself take up your cross and follow me well that's next time but for this time life's most important question listen 
you may have an opinion about Jesus. And ultimately, what you do believe about Jesus will determine what you do with the information you've just heard. Today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. If you realize that it's God speaking to you, it's his word, and, and, and your need is for his forgiveness and his mercy. And, and you need to cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Proverbs 14.12 tells us there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, this does not become untrue once we have been born again. We can still make the same judgment errors, just like Peter did in not wanting Jesus to go to the cross. Brothers and sisters, seeking the right way, the way God would have us walk, is a process that will never end. We will never get to a point where we know all things, so we must always seek the Lord and His wisdom. We must always be prepared to be able to answer correctly life's most important question. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.